Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness, where we will be sharing insights into the world of mental health and wellness as we explore traditional medicine and holistic healing options. It's time to have new conversations about mental health. Join Mara James, the founder and CEO of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, as she guides us along this journey. And now, let's talk wellness. Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness. I am your host, Mara James, and I want to say thank you for joining us for today's conversation. During Let's Talk Wellness, we focus on healing, understanding, growth, and spirituality. That's part of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a subsidiary of the nonprofit Extraordinary Lives Foundation, where we are devoted to supporting mental health and wellness and providing resources for children and their families. As the founder of these organizations, I have the great joy of collaborating with a team of amazing people to help bring healing to children and their families around the world. You could find out all of our information at elfempowers.org, and you could find the link in the show information. Now, let's talk wellness with today's host, Dr. Lori Leigh Bellhumer. Lori, Dr. Lori is a best-selling, award-winning author and licensed psychologist. Lori is well-versed in trauma, ACEs, and resilience. Welcome, Lori. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Mara. It's great to be on your show because uh, we're like-minded, like-hearted, and have the same vision. Absolutely. And it's such an honor to have you here. We met several years ago in the nonprofit world. So why don't we start with that? Tell us a little bit about your past and what led you to where you are today and studying what you did and how you became an author. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's a mouthful. Well, I um, so let me just talk about a little bit about my journey. I'm really known uh, among my colleagues and some of my friends as you know, an expert in resilience and sort of a, you know, an example of resilience. And so, you know, the way that that my career came about really because, um, you know, I knew that I was a helper early on. I babysat and I was going to go into nursing or uh, a teacher, you know, something like that, because those were the those were the choices back then. And um, and I ended up for lots of reasons getting on a psychology track. And really what I realized early on is that I chose that because I wanted to heal from my own childhood wounds. You know, uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot are adverse childhood experiences. And that's something that I also have quite a bit of expertise in, you know, uh, being able to, to talk about it and share it and teach about the impact of ACEs. Uh, on the health and well-being of uh, of children and the adults who uh, care for them. And so I went into uh, psychology again, thinking I was going to heal uh, from ACEs. I had five by the time I was in second grade and eight by the time I graduated from high school. And as you and probably most of your audience knows, uh, that they're in three categories, abuse, neglect, and family dysfunction. So every kind of abuse, and um, and lots of neglect, and then you know, alcoholic home, lots of other turmoil in the household. And my mom was married, you know, five times, so there was a lot of a lot of that. So in looking back, I just I really uh, you know I had my own what we would call now like 
mental health issues as a child, but there weren't psychologists around. And it was just kind of, you know, as I went, I wanted to heal myself and I wanted to really break through, uh, you know, and heal that stuff. So what I want to say first is a lot of the, not first, I've said all, (laughs) but a lot of the, what we would call, you know, abuse or emotional neglect, things like that. Uh, Although it was, it was both parents, the person I called dad and my mom, I just want to express that it's coming from now a place of tremendous compassion. And I wouldn't be the person that I am today, if I didn't have the mother that I had, and also the dads, you know, that I had growing up. And, um, and so it's really, you know, when we're talking about resilience here, we're going to get to that. Um, It's really the ability to adapt, you know, to those adversities over time. And so I just want to make sure that everyone knows I'm coming from a place of compassion, and knowing that my grandmother, and my mother, also experienced ACEs. They didn't call it that at the time. They didn't, you know, and so there's, when I had that understanding of ACEs, it really kind of shined the light on sort of generational trauma that occurred. And so the, so the journey was, you know, helping profession, getting into psychology. And once I changed my major to psychology, I knew like, I'm getting a PhD, you know, I'm just straight, you know, that's, in order to really make an impact, you know, becoming a psychologist. And, um, and then all of my, uh, you know, um, background and training, or I'd say 90% of it was working with children mm. in a psychiatric hospital uh, for children and youth uh, back in the day, and then uh, have worked in, you know, children and youth uh, sector in terms of, you know, being a child psychologist. And even in my private practice, you know, the people that gravitated into the practice were teenage girls. And so, uh, and so that's sort of the trajectory now. Oh, and then you said (laughs) to become an author. So let me say this, uh, what I realized in, in treating not only adolescents, but, you know, some of their parents and adults who care for budding psychologists, budding teachers. And what I learned is that there were some people who really got to a resilience kind of state, uh, if you will, um, a little bit quicker than others. And so, you know, after decades of looking back and in my own healing, you know, I'm like, we've got to make this kind of simple in a way that people can understand. So I, I really gave it some thought about what worked and what didn't, you know, in, in those years and came up with a recipe for mastering resilience based again on that reverse engineering. And I initially uh, created a course around it so that people could go through the course. And then um, I created a second job for myself. So I closed down the course and then decided that, you know what, the word really, the the experience, the opportunity for healing uh, needs to get out there. And so I turned the curriculum of the course into what is now the book, Mastering Resilience, Transforming into Your Purpose. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you for sharing so much with us. Um, Let's start. um, So at the beginning, for some of our friends watching and listening that aren't familiar with ACES, can you share a little more about it? How many different criteria there are and 
when that even started coming about. I know when we were younger, it wasn't, you know. It wasn't called that, right? Not at all. It wasn't called anything. Yeah. It was called <laughs> exactly. child abuse and then it was called trauma. And now, you know, we've 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 brought it into this language that, you know, everyone can kind of understand. So ACEs uh, fall into three categories, abuse, neglect, and family dysfunction. Um, there's 10 of them. So emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, mm -hmm. uh, physical and emotional neglect. And then, you know, the five, um, you know, uh, family dysfunction or, you know, divorce in the family, parent with, uh, or caregiver with a mental illness, uh, with alcohol misuse, incarceration, drug misuse, those kinds of things. And so there's 10 specific ones and they, they were kind of discovered um, in in a research study back in the late 90s in, in San Diego, where they took 17,000, you know, middle-class adults and asked them, you know, before the age of 18, did any of these things happen? And then the result of that study, the ACE study, really uh, highlighted the impact of the, um, the toxic stress that comes from ACEs, from these exposure to ACEs, uh, you know, had a, like, an exponential risk factor uh, for emotional conditions, mental health conditions, physical health conditions, economic uh, problems, and and uh, and also educational problems. And so it was just you know it was really clear that the more exposure, the number of ACEs, it's a specific number again, one through ten. The higher the number of ACEs, the higher uh, risk for these conditions, you know, physical and emotional uh, problems, challenges, as well as physical health. And so um, it didn't really become commonplace. I mean, the way that I heard about ACEs was from, from a, a TED Med talk from Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, who later became the first Surgeon General of the state of California. And, you know, in it, she really, it was a call to action to really get in and prevent ACEs from happening and you know, to really um, go upstream and and figure out prevention strategies to not only prevent them from happening, but also prevent the the toxic impact, you know, of them. And I took that call to action really seriously. And uh, and then again, it got um, you know, looking through the lens of Aces, as I mentioned, for my own conditions, my mom, my grandmother, you know, family members. And it just made so much sense. And it just became a language. Again, ACE is something easy. We can talk about, we can have a common language if we're talking to teachers or we're talking to pediatricians. And so that's that's sort of the background on ACEs. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And um, is there a certain age when you, uh, doctors or schools start looking at a child and their ACEs score? Has it become a common practice yet? Well, um, what I can say is the ACEs are, you know, exposure to those 10 things. And then also now there's other related life events that measuring as well, like, you know, discrimination, racism, neighborhood violence, death of a pair, loss of a parent. So there's other things we're measuring. Um, and so it's exposure to any of those before the age of 18. So in the state of California, now, uh, children on Medi-Cal are screened 
for ACEs and related life events with, you know, a screening tool. And, um, you know, we want it to be widespread. There's, you know, I think over 100,000 children who've already been screened in the state of California. And, and, um, and so pediatricians are screening behavioral health, uh, you know, practitioners are screening. And the reason, because that number without intervention is what creates the risk, right? So when pediatricians know the number and know that there's risk for diabetes, obesity, uh, asthma, learning problems, behavior problems, they can get in early and they can say, this is the risk of that. And we can do something about it early on because we know what the risk is. And we know that there's a predictive trajectory if we don't do something about it. So we're really looking at the whole child and the whole, you know, everything about uh, coordinating care uh, amongst, you know, many, many providers so that, that provide services to children, teachers, and really making sure that we're all on the same page with knowing the number of ACEs, knowing the risk, and being able, again, to um, offer some buffering that would, uh, you know, change the trajectory. Absolutely. And is there an average age that the their uh, children are being tested? Um, well, in pediatricians' offices, they're asking the parents, you know, early on, so at their well well child visits, mm -hmm. and you know, all the way up to through high school. And it just depends. It's once a year. You know, it's recommended to be screened once in, once a year to see if there's any additional exposure or prolonged exposure so that again, we can get in early. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know the exact statistics of, you know, who's getting, uh, you know, screened at what early age. I just know that it's, um, you know, that's possible to do it at the well, it's, it's re recommended, maybe even mandated to yeah. a screen at the pediatrician's, you know, office so that again, that connection can be made. That's amazing. I wonder, you know, I'm sure some parents um, don't want to share everything that's going on at home. So they might be skewed, you know, hopefully, mm -hmm. and then the child gets older, hopefully they'll ask the child directly without the parents. They, they do at a certain age, I think 13 or 14, they ask the child directly. But here's what I found. What I found is when parents learn about ACEs, and we properly educate them about ACEs, those children with high scores, the parents and the people who, you know, depend or who the child depends on, they've had many ACEs. Sure. And so sometimes it's received as a relief because knowing that it's not their fault, knowing it's something that happened to them, you know, kind of like uh, diffuses the shame and blame. And they are open to doing something about it because they see it, you know, from their own lives. And, you know, most parents and people, you know, care, care for children, most people who care for children want to break the cycle. You know, they, they want to break the cycle. And so having that education and information around how ACEs impact the brain and, you know, the neuroplasticity of the brain, the ability to rewire and you know, the brain to be, you know, have more positive, you know, focus, reduce risk. And uh, again, it's, it's, it's very, um, it's very soothing for some parents. Yeah. And I love that, that it's, it really, um, 
you know, these children are here to change the world, I always say, and it starts with um, the parents. And they, a lot of times they'll reflect what uh, one of the parents or both parents need to heal. Mm-hmm. So I love that would take such a positive um, effect, uh, you know, mm-hmm. outlook on that. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, Mara, I'll take it one step further because, you know, the children are often in our care, either as teachers or psychologists or counselors. And, you know, also like the parent, if they're in our care, they're only going to heal at the level that we as practitioners, as people who have children who depend on us for some sort of care. And it's, it's so the resilience part is also that we have it so that we can model it and allow it to, you know, the child to, to do the same. And, and so uh, that's, what's really important. I think, you know, one of the things I mentioned in the book is really how I came about that as being in groups of uh, training in front of groups of, you know, teachers and CASA workers and psychologists and counselors. And we gave them the A screening in those rooms with hundreds of people. And the interesting thing was, is that the A scores of the people in the room, the adults in the room, mirrored the number of ACEs that were in mental health treatment. So the conclusion is that the people, this is kind of intuitive, but it kind of proved it, um, that people who experienced childhood trauma, like myself, um, gravitate toward these professions. And so we have an obligation to heal ourselves so that the children have the same opportunity. And I love that. You know, I also had my childhood trauma, though I didn't remember all of it until about 52 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working, you know, and I worked with a psychiatrist and a therapist, but I've also worked a lot of holistic healers. And so we mm-hmm. around, I have a PhD in healing, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Personally, yeah. So, um, but one of my healers I was working with and she said, and, you know, I realized that there was something that she needed healing on. Mm. And she said something to me, which was such a beautiful message from the universe. She's like, you know, you cannot heal past your healer which made sense. I mean, if I'm taking a class in math, mm-hmm. my mathematician, my teacher doesn't know how to do trigonometry. I'm right. not able to learn trigonometry unless they do. And right then, first, it was a message for me to stop working with that healer. That's <laughs> why like, I just keep growing and expanding because how mm-hmm. else can I help my friends and my clients if I don't, you know, the more I That's know. Exactly the more right. That's exactly right. And yes. also, I find like a lot of teachers, a lot of therapists will have children or pay or clients, patients that are showing them what they need to heal. Yes, you yes, know? yes, yes. Have you heard of um in um, Hawaii several years ago, there was an inpatient mental health facility and the psychiatrist um, did the have everybody do the Hopopono prayer? I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you, and I love you. And apparently, everybody was discharged, and it was just amazing. Oh, how yeah. beautiful! How yeah. beautiful! Listen yes. to me, just saying it's not the easiest thing because when you've been through traumas like you and myself, um, having compassion is part of it. But to me, the whole forgiveness, which is you know, compassion and forgiveness is definitely the hardest journey. Um, yes. Every religion speaks about it. It's the most yes. important thing and definitely one of the most, if not the most challenging to, to do, the thing to do in life. It's it's really true. In fact, compassion for self and others is one of the eight ingredients for mastering resilience. And it really talks about, you know, forgiveness is, is um, you know, it's, it's almost a, like a, 
biblical lift. It's like really, you know, biblical proportions when we say forgive, right? That might be some of our association with that. But compassion is, you know, kind of short of that, but you can't have forgiveness without compassion. But it's really like having compassion for yourself. You know, there's there's a book by um, uh, Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey uh, called What Happened to You. And it's been published, you know, in the last year or so, I think. And it really talks about like in the profession, uh, in dealing with trauma and, and healing trauma, we, we've we switched the language from what's wrong with you to what happened to you. And that's the name of the book. And then I uh, like to take it a step further and say, what's strong with you? What's, you know, what's strong with you? And because that's the basis, it's like, you know, um, standing firm in, you know, who we are, our intrinsic value. And when we know that mm. it's, it's possible to have compassion for self, it it's, there's a greater, greater likelihood of being able to be compassionate toward others. Beautiful. We're going to take a brief break and we're going to come right back and we're going to discuss your book, Mastering Resilience and the recipe. So I am so excited. So everybody stay tuned. In these shifting and changing times, more and more lives are being impacted by mental health. The Extraordinary Lives Foundation, also known as ELF, is transforming the way people view and navigate mental health challenges. Their mission is to improve children's mental health and wellness and support families by providing educational tools, resources, and awareness events. ELF encourages families to recognize symptoms, overcome the stigma, and reach out for help. Through prevention, early intervention, and holistic treatment, we believe many of the big problems facing today's youth can be transformed within a generation. Extraordinary Lives Foundation is excited to offer the Hugs for Life Healing Center growing a worldwide network of approved holistic healers and bridging the gap between traditional and complementary healing options. Visit the Extraordinary Lives Foundation website at www.elfempowers.org to find out more about their resources and events. Together, we can change the conversation around mental health. that you're enjoying today's Let's Talk Wellness podcast. And if you have a topic that you would like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. Simply email us at info at elfempowers.org. That's info at elfempowers.org. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James. And today we have Dr. Lori Leigh Bellhumer. Welcome back, Lori. Thank you so much. Great to be here again. So I'm so excited to get into your book, Mastering Resilience. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Um, so for you personally, you went through a lot of childhood that's, you know, abuse. Mm -hmm. At what age did you realize what was happening to you wasn't right, wasn't normal, you know, happening in your neighborhoods or your friends? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if you could share with us about that, that'd be great. Okay, well, there were all kinds of abuse in the house, but the one that really left the, the marks outside were, were the spankings, you know? And so I must've, this is what I think, I must've suspected uh, that what was happening was abuse because, you know, the two summers when I was 14 and when I was 15, I babysat four kids from 
Tuesday night to Sunday morning. And so I had a really close relationship with the mom. And so one day I asked her, you know, what is abuse? You know, what, what's the difference? You know, what is abuse? And so she said, well, um, abuse is when someone uncontrollably picks up an object like a Noxema jar and then just uncontrollably, um, you know, hits the child. And so I, I came to the conclusion, you know, wrongly that what was happening to me wasn't abuse, even though I had visible marks from my shoulders to my knees and bruising and that I had to hide in the gym class because I was obviously in middle school at the time. And, uh, and so that's really, that's the time when I was like suspicious. And then of course, when I got into, you know, psychology and started reading in psychology, I was like, oh yeah, this is really clear. That's, that's what it's called. Yeah. But so you're saying, did you think it was, or was not abuse after you heard her give you that definition with the, um, Nazima? Did you- oh, you know, I assumed it wasn't. I assumed it was just a spanking because she. this is the difference, you know, this object uncontrollably versus a spanking. And so what I was, what I was receiving was called a spanking. And so I thought that was normal discipline. I didn't, after that point, I didn't uh, think it was abuse. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That it just, yeah. And it's interesting because, I mean, if you did realize it was abuse, what would you have done? I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but- yeah. What would, you know, would you even have done anything? Well, what I, you know, I don't know, because what I do know is there was another girl in, uh, in uh, middle school who was removed from the home. She was in the backseat of a car. They were taking her away and she had bruises visibly, you know? And so I just said, well, I'm not that, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not that bad. And I just, you know, felt so, so bad, but she was taken away. So I don't want to be taken away from my family, you know? Mm. So even if it was, even if I did, I probably wouldn't say anything at the time. Yeah. And I, I do believe everything happens as it does and as it should. And, Mm -hmm. you know, which is a whole nother. Um, So now let's bring that now into, um, you know, I'm sorry for everything you've gone through and I know it's who you are today. Exactly. You know, um, so you developed, you created this beautiful book on mastering resilience and you have a whole recipe. Can you share with us about that? I sure can. And, and what I want to say also is I share like these little snippets of stories um, because not to share that it happened to me or, or to, to get like sympathy or any, it's really to show that there's hope. It's there's hope for a future, even when you have eight aces or you have, you know, one ace that's just prolonged and really, really, you know, persistent and, and painful and, you know, inside and out. And so it's really because like, I have a story to share that gives people hope. And, you know, what, whatever profession they're in, however they're helping children, you know, all of that. And so I mentioned earlier that I, I took uh, the stories of people that had, you know, had spoken to me, told me their stories, my own story, and then, you know, also in working with children and reversed engineered what worked. And so I came up with a metaphor of a recipe. And, uh, you know, I talked about baking a cake in the beginning of the book. So the book is Mastering Resilience, Transforming into Your Purpose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I 
I want to segue and just tell you what the importance of this kintsugi bowl is on the, the front. It's a, it's a common symbol of uh, recovering from trauma and the gold that's, that's woven or poured into the brokenness of the bowl makes it more beautiful, makes it more valuable, stunning, you know, all of those things. So in what we might've considered our brokenness, mm-hmm. um, you know, this, this, the beauty comes in from the healing of the trauma. And that's the goal that, you know, fills all of those cracks and again, makes it more beautiful. That's so, so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, so the recipe really is, it's a recipe for mastering resilience and it has again, eight ingredients and I'm going to just mention a couple of them. Um, but it's, it's really, um, it's okay. Let me say this. It's a recipe that initially is intended to kind of go in order because it, you know, it anchors it in and each one builds upon each other. And once you go through it, you can refer back to it and kind of jump around. Uh, but the first, and the first ingredient is really, we've heard this before, establish your big why, you know, establish like what that vision is. In this case, it's really because many of the people who are reading the book want to be cycle breakers. Uh, they want to, you know, break through their own, even if they're not, you know, they don't have children, they want to break through their own. So they break the cycle, you know, for themselves. And so it's really like, if you can imagine who you are, who you get to be when you're healed, you know, or you're farther along on the healing journey, we're never fully healed, right? It's a journey. And we look out there and what's our inspiration for doing something about it, for going forward on that journey. So it's not just like a vision board where you might have things on it. It's really who you get to be. What characteristics do you, you know, that, that you get to be that are on that? And what does that, you know, identity kind of do for you? And how, you know, how's it going to be different when you are that? So it's really looking at, yes, there could be, you know, possessions, there could be relationships, you know, how, what kind of relationships you want to have, what kind of career it can have those things. But really, it's also who do you get to be? in order to, you know, kind of break through and, and get to those places. So that's the big why, you know, and then the next one, the next ingredient is the why now. Mm. So why now is the commitment. So the big why is kind of creating the optimal conditions for mastering resilience. The why now is the commitment and it is the motivation that you have where you put a stake in the ground right now to say, I'm committed to moving along on this healing journey so that I can model it for the people, you know, under, you know, children in my care who depend on me or, you know, for myself. And it's, you know, what is the, what is the motivation right now to do that? And in my case, the motivation changed over time. I might've thought like the big why, but the motivation changed. So when I was younger and I had, you know, young children, babies, I didn't want to, um, you know, I wanted to be the best mom, you know, I just wanted to be the best mom. I didn't, you know, want to make the same mistakes in a way. And, um, you know, and so it was really the motivation was I I've got, you know, I've got to do something about this now. And even, you know, even in early before that early in my marriage, it was like, 
I don't want to wreck my marriage. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to have five divorces. I'm like committed to this. Right. And so I wanted to make sure that I, you know, got better and then the babies. And then when the girls were teenagers and I saw them, you know, in, in, in high school, you know, exposed to situations that were similar to mine. And I, I just really like, I'm committed to my healing because I don't want them to be 57 or, you know, whatever age to, you know, get to the point where they feel loved and honored and valued and worthy and wanted all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so it was like my motivation, my commitment at that time was for them. And now the commitment is like, break the cycle in this generation, you know, like let's, let's heal the workforce in a way the, you know, so that we can then, you know, um, pass that down to the children who depend on us. And so those are the two, and those are like anchor that in. And then after that, you get to um, have clarity of self. And this is where the qualities and the and the strengths and the uniqueness and the, you know, valuable part. We talk about intrinsic value, value just because we, you know, value because we exist that, you know, that we have that. And so it's really like, you know, exercises to get in there and really understand that. And that's the third thing, because you, you talk about who you need to be, you know, who you get to be in order to get there. And then you make the commitment but really the, the next thing is that clarity of self. So then it all kind of clicks because you can use those first three, you know, kind of throughout uh, the rest of the recipe. And then, you know, from there it's, it's talking about, I'm looking at my chapters, even though I don't need to. <laughs> so, and from there, there's again, the tools that use the, um, the first three. So there's activities that you can do to actually anchor into your, you catch yourself with the negative you know, self-talk, you anchor yourself in, you, you know, know your value, and then you take action in the direction of your big why or the goal that you've set for yourself, you know, and then there's also, and this is, this is what the, the beauty of it, it's kind of the secret sauce of the recipe is when you learn to continually reframe tell yourself a different story to identify in clarity of self. You said, you know, who I am in the face of this adversity. So what do you get to do, you know, to reframe those stories? You know, I'm more compassionate because of the things that happened to me, you know, when I was younger, I'm stronger. I'm, you know, I have like strength of character, you know, as a result of those things that happened to me. So it's like looking at and telling that new story around it. And then also you, you mentioned this earlier. Um, this is another part of the secret sauce is when you have situations that come up now, current events, oftentimes we react in the same level of emotion, this, you know, out, it feels out of proportion emotion, and it's tied to something specific in the past. And that's an opportunity to heal even deeper when we recognize that these, you know, obstacles or, you know, people that are kind of, you know, I call them heavenly sandpaper, like they're just refining you. you know? so, I call them the teachers. Yes. And so, yeah. yeah. And so that's, you know, that's an, uh, you know, another element of it. So it's really the most important thing is like learning, learning and skills how to purposely reframe uh, the stories 
And, um, and then after that, you can, you know, set your goals. You can say, what are some specific things that I can do to get there? What, for, what are the first action steps that I can take to get there? And then finally, it's really, you know, you know this, I know this, it's really surrounding yourself in community, mm. of people who believe in you, who care about you, who cheer you on, who hold you accountable and love you and, you know, all of that. And just really making sure that your inner circle is full of, um, of those people, or at least one, you know, maybe two, but really like surrounding yourself with, um, the people who care about you. So that's kind of, you know, the, the eight step, you know, recipe, uh, that's in eight ingredient recipe that's in there. And again, once you get through it, then if a situation comes up, you don't have to go through the first four, you know, you can just go right to that chapter and go, yes, this is an opportunity to heal. And this is, uh, you know, um, it's a teaching moment. And, uh, and so that's, that's what it is. Beautiful. And so funny. You said something that I find with so many of my clients. I really believe that God's way to change the world is through children's mental health. Because Mm. we don't say, I want to be better. We say, I want to be better for my child, my baby. I want to be a better mom. I want, you know, and and if that's what it takes to start our healing journey, then whatever it is, right? Right. So many, you know, and it's usually the moms that will call and, you know, and when I'm talking to them and they're talking about their child, I'm like, okay, we need to put our oxygen mask on. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know for me, I had anything to heal until I experienced a manic episode for you. You know, it's like, okay, I want to be a good mom. And, you know, and then I don't want my teens to go through it. So um, whatever it takes, whenever it takes, it's just yes. that we can really start it and right. continue on that beautiful yet sometimes painful journey. <laughs> Yeah. And it really, again, it is a journey and it's never too late. Obviously, yeah. you know, um, I'm a little bit on the mature side, older side. And, you know, I wrote the book, the book came out, it was published in, in April of this year. Oh, and, you know, I'm just blessed to know that it's a bestseller in multiple categories. It's being sold internationally mm-hmm. and, um, and people are, coming to the course and, you know, wanting to go through the ingredients, uh, you know, while reading the book, almost like a book club, there's a workbook coming out that's going to, you know, go along with this. And then also, um, even businesses are asking for intensive, can we come in and like, you know, have this resilience, you know, intensive, inspirational, you know, opportunity for the employees to have that breakthrough through the burnout and, you know, mainly, not mainly, but, you know, in addition to uh, agencies that have youth serving, you know, workforces, you know, that it's, it's really, you know, getting out there in a very meaningful way and having like a massive impact. Beautiful. So Mastering Resilience, how can people buy it? Well, they can go on Amazon, Mastering Resilience, uh, Transforming into Your Purpose by Lori Leigh Bellhumer. It's it's there. And then, uh, and also masteringresilience.com is the, you know, the, uh, the website that has all of the different, you know, the course information and those kinds of things. Yeah. And we'll list that link in the show information. Um, and if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Well, the best way is Dr. Lori at masteringresilience.com. We made it really easy. Just, you know, that's the, that's the address so that it's mastering resilience, the name of the book, and that's the URL and also the email. Beautiful. And are you on social media? Oh, I am. 
Yes. I awesome. Well, and you don't, we can list yeah. those links uh, in the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As well. So linked, yeah. LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yes. The usual. So if you can look back at your younger self, 10, maybe 10 years old, what mm-hmm. advice would you give to little Lori? Mm. You know, what just popped in my brain is everything's going to be all right. Makes me just want to cry. Yeah. Everything's going to be all right. This is all happening for a reason. This is all happening for a purpose. Mm -hmm. You are valued. You are loved. You are worthy. You are wanted. And those things are going to um, get you far. Wow. That is beautiful. Lori, it is such a pleasure having you. And um, I look forward to seeing you as your journey continues. Oh, thank you so much, Mara. It's just such a great, I love this conversation. It's such a great opportunity to be with you here today. Well, don't forget for you and all of our friends watching and listening, you are amazing. Yes. (laughs) Yes, you are. You are, Mara, because you're bringing... Uh, you know, this, this message in each of your podcasts and just literally how you, the, the, the presence, the visibility that you have is always with one vision and one purpose. And, you know, it's just, you just shine literally. You're sweet. Thank you, Lori. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Wellness. This podcast has been brought to you by the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a division of the Extraordinary Lives Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you would like to listen to more conversations like this, we invite you to subscribe to our mailing list at www.elfempowers.org to be notified when our weekly episodes are published. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next conversation on Let's Talk Wellness.